Hi, listeners. My name is Russ Shaw. You're listening to the ASI Podcast. This is Season 5. Yes, that is Everclear, the Van Gogh Sun is the name of that song, and there are so many tunes that have to do with this topic. My friend Seth Taylor and I, Seth's going to be on the show, I'm going to shut my blab real quick here, and after another bumper piece of music by the late, great Robert Palmer... We're going to get into this topic of love addiction or codependency, it's called by psychologists, uh, via myself and my friend Seth Taylor. But before we do that, I have to remind listeners that this podcast is listener-supported. That's the reason it exists. Uh, Folks didn't donate. Uh, Yes, all the episodes are free. They're online for free for you to enjoy, but they're not free, right? Like this does cost money to keep this thing going. And it's been a, a really difficult season for me financially with my mom passing away and time taking off work. And so getting the time to set aside and put these shows together is man it takes time it costs money so any of you guys could please find it in your hearts and souls to donate to the asi podcast man i would certainly appreciate it Uh, and really at this dire season um the next podcast i'm doing right after this one is Seth and I we talk about codependency in this episode as it as it goes into relationships, uh, boyfriend girlfriend single folks who how they relate to the opposite sex or the gender they're attracted to, right? These these things that happen in romantic relationships we talk about that in this episode because you know healing isn't when you're in relationship with someone there's a huge effect the other person has on you and we're going to address some of that today and then in the next episode we're going to talk about group dynamics so there's some groups that are healthy and some aren't um SA groups NA groups AA groups uh church groups community groups Redemption groups, uh, men's retreats and groups and all of these things. It, what, what to look for and what's healthy and what's not healthy. So we, we spend some time on that topic in the episode, which will be episode 23. Episode 24, um, I realized that, you know, over the years I've been a poor guy, right? I've been broke and money, sex and money. There's something to... Sex, God, and Money. So that's going to be the title of the episode after these two episodes with Seth Taylor. And it's a little bit of a kind of a conflict. I don't know if you call it a conflict. It's kind of a back and forth that I had with a guest I had on the podcast last year, which is last month, Cash Peters. So we talking about the topic of money. So we're going to I'm going to get into that in that episode, which will be episode 24. Um, but to make those possible donations from listeners, man, I, I certainly do appreciate you guys. 
uh, and you're, you're keeping the show alive. So ASI. 247.org please go to the donate button and give give soup please sir (laughs) pathetic right there right I don't know I'm just telling you uh, we could certainly use the money over here at the uh, the ASI podcast uh, basement studio headquarters Uh, on the other side of this bumper Two professional unprofessionals talk about codependency and love addiction. Here you go. This is episode 22 of the ASI podcast. Uh, Seth Taylor, my, my, my friend here, we uh, met about a year ago. You were on the podcast. About a year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah like it's that. a while back. We go way and, back. Uh, and the bromance ensued. <laughs> you know, it's funny that when two guys are friends nowadays, you have to call it a bromance. Like, what? what is that? That's kind of. We feel very awkward about actually but, having each other. You know? That's right. About actually. Can't do the intimacy thing, you know. That's right. Shield ourselves. Yeah. Dumb words. Uh, listeners, if you don't know who Seth Taylor is, uh, he wrote a book called Feels Like Redemption. You've done some work with Triple X Church. This June, there is a retreat kind mm-hmm. of a thing going on. Yeah, um, we've got two. Well, two. We got two retreats in in early June. Um, there's still a couple spots. One of them sold out. Yeah, there's a couple spots open for the other one. Okay. Um, up in Alaska. It's called, if you go on, if you wanted to just look up mypilgrimage.com slash backslash Alaska, and you can actually go to the, the page that has that. So right. It's a it's four days of intense healing and awesome teaching, hiking, fishing uh, in in some of the most beautiful places on the planet. So nice. Yeah. It's something to save up for. Yeah, it's two grand. It's cost yeah. two grand a pop. You know, plus your airfare to get up there. I mean, it's gourmet food. It's a it is. It's in a place called Cooper's Landing, so go ahead and Google that and Google image, and it'll kind of blow your mind. But it's a, like I said, it's a, it's a very intensive experience of healing, beauty, teaching, right, and uh, and aforementioned bonding. Right, so, right. Yeah. You uh, also did some work. You, so you've been doing work with Triple X Church. Triple X Church uh, published your book, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and you're doing some life coaching. I am. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, doing life coaching, and the spots are kind of filling up on that. But, uh, but yeah, if that's on my website, sethallentaylor.com slash coaching. This is one of those topics that's come up in conversation. We seem, because healing isn't just a one-on-one thing. Here, 21 we're friends, minutes. we hang out. Sometimes we should record some of this stuff, we figure, yeah. because it's fascinating. That and, and interacting with, with listeners, you're interacting with readers to your book, and one of the things that we we want to talk about today, and it's it's a very touchy kind of subject, and not a lot of Christians especially like to deal with it because there's layers to it. And but <laughs> and I've talked about this before 
in, in a way that almost sounded negative, but I want to unpack some of that as well. But what we're talking about today is codependency. Um, I just shared a post from uh, past guest Mark Azule. Uh, he wrote a really cool little blog post about codependency. Mark is a uh, psychotherapist in Boulder, Colorado, and he, uh, yeah, he's a fascinating guy. Um, but one of the things he said at the beginning of that article that I thought was great on the on the subject of codependency, he said that in twelve step. Uh, in 12-step language or in the 12-step there's there's this thing I think it was in the big book where it says um, if you're single and you're going through recovery um, and you're thinking about getting in a relationship he says get get a plant the first year second year get a dog and if at the end of the two years if those two things are still alive then you can start to think about getting a, a boyfriend and or a girlfriend, right? right? right. So there's a lot of wisdom in that, right? Sure, sure. So uh, we were talking about codependency here. And uh, Seth, thank you again for being on the podcast. It's good to be here. So, Seth, what is codependency, the definition uh, via Seth Taylor? What, what would you call it? Um, the easy definition would be uh, addiction to relationship. So okay. if if uh, we use all types of medication to, to be able to save us from our pain that we carry, then uh, codependency is, is the tendency to use a relationship with another person and the energetic qualities of that, you know, to actually be that salvation. So uh, you, get, you get somebody whose pain is dictating that they just suck people dry, uh-huh. and you get another person whose pain dictates that he give himself to the world and constantly lay down and die for everybody right put them together which and is not being like Jesus by the way no no it's different not. yeah <laughs> and it's it's a and it becomes a symbiotic relationship right one sucks sucks the other one dry one gives everything you can and neither one of them ever get what they need but at the same time they're getting everything they need to stay alive in the, in the yeah, it's in functional. The That's why every anybody is addicted to anything, yeah. is because if it wasn't functional, if it didn't feel good to a certain degree, we wouldn't do it. Right. But yeah. when when addiction happens, it's it's a bond. It's that bonded connection that we can't break via our yeah. own will, even though we hate it. Yeah. Like it is so you know most codependent relationships involve a tremendous amount of conflict mm. because you have two children trying to parent each other or asking the other one to parent them. Mm. So essentially, it's the way that it's it's if you ask two you know five year olds to, to live an adult life and do adult relationship, adult intimacy, and adult you know responsibility, you would get a really messy, horrible situation. But they probably stay alive at some level. You know right. <laughs> they yeah. can. You know, but. That's about all you can hope for from from those situations. There, there's moments of beauty and there's moments of chaos and there's moments of those kind of things. But you know, it's not until two people until that cycle is broken and two people learn to stand on their own two feet. Yeah. You know, and actually be able to stay inside their own body and know who they are outside of that relationship um, that you can actually find a healthy existence in the relationship. Right. And it's easier said than done. It is. But it is very. I mean, my wife and I were codependent for twenty years. Yeah. Mine and, too. Yeah. yeah. And, now we live in this really, really beautiful relationship that is, at the same time, we just stopped. We stopped working on our marriage. We said, you know what? That's it. Let's just stop trying to make to save our marriage. Let's kill the marriage, and let's try to save ourselves. Right. And then let's see if relationship works once we do that. Right. Once you heal yourself, right. the relationship takes care of itself. Yeah. Now, 
bringing this into a to a Christian world or a Christian worldview. There's a lot of a lot of folks who are listening are Christians. Yeah. We get that. I'm a Christian guy. This is not a Christian podcast. Thank God. I'm a Christian, but <laughs> Seth and I would be in the, the no matter Christian how many realm people read my book stuff. and say I'm not. I am. <laughs> That's right. People are gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I can see we can probably say that's what the critics always do though don't they yeah, they go yeah. you know this is I have a certain God that I've created yeah. and you don't fall in that thing so right. it's rather than stretch my mind and actually do the work myself to examine I don't know the Bible talk to other freer people right more more aware people more awake people right. rather than do that work even if those people fall outside of the Christian church right Exactly, or what your normative Christian is, and then you can break it down into, into you know, uh, d- denominations. Right. Like, oh, you want me to listen to a Presbyterian? You know, right. it's like, ah, yeah. I, what? That's what something Paul Young told me. He said, he said, you know, the root word of denomination is, it's like, you break that word down, and diabolical is a very close cousin to the to the word denomination it's taking a whole and dividing it into pieces yeah yeah, yeah. so and that's a, a codependency yeah yeah it's kind of codependency is addiction it's addiction if anybody's ever dealt with any somebody's like well i'm a shopping addict but you know okay and you understand that right it's exactly the relationship you have with shopping is in the material goods is the relation it's it's the same concept directed to another person the difference is energetically you know, people carry their own vibration. They carry their own actual energetic essence, and and that can get really, really messy when you're you're in other people's kind of. You know, you're feeding off of their energy. It's very, uh, you, it's very Harry Potter. You guys remember, remember Dementors? No, Harry Potter. You know, I'm uh, not a big Harry Potter. Oh man, you gotta read me. I don't Harry read Potter. a lot. I mean, I watch the movies, but if you don't read, well, do you remember the Dementors? Really you remember what they were, right? They're like creatures, right? They're well, sort uh, of yeah, big they're like black ghost color, creatures that like suck creatures. your life force. Oh out. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's essentially what codependency is. Is that you, I mean, my wife was the Dementor, and I was this. I was the one that just like, yes, this is what I deserve. Take it. Take right. my life. You know. <laughs> right, right. And, and of course, you know. I was prone towards ministry because of this, you know, I'm going to do mission work and I'm going to do all this stuff because this is how I earn the approval of the God that I need to like me or else I die kind of thing. So, you know, it just becomes that kind of, I direct the same thing I directed towards God, I directed towards my wife, I directed towards other people and you just run and you run and you run and you work and you work and you work until you're completely exhausted. Right. And we call that the caretaker. Uh-huh. Right, and that was me. My wife was the blood sucker. Uh-huh. <laughs> She's like, I'm going to control you, and I'm going to dump My wife you. and I flip roles on that. We yeah. have over the years, and we're now we're, God, dude, I'm almost 50. That's another reason of doing this podcast that I love is, is that there's younger folks listening right now that, hey, Seth and I are trying to save you like a shit ton of pain. Like, you know, <laughs> we've gone through 20 years of totally just relational, the pain that will teach you something. Pain. Yeah, <laughs> and going, hey, you know, don't. All right, so. Uh, but yeah, the Dementor thing. Like my wife and I, I, and we've seen this, and I've actually caught myself doing it, and then apologized. Like recently, after my mom passed, yeah. I saw where I'm walking in and being the Dementor, right? Mm. And my wife is is uh, like she better, she better like I'm smoking her like crack, right? Like I'm waiting for that smoke to come up because I need. Yeah. And the, and the other is something to being loved and yeah and she's there for me and all that's great and, and and that's normal human stuff but when it becomes spiritual or I put her in a godlike position yeah. because I can't be me with this situation right now right, right. 
Um, the fact that she's there and she's comforting and loving, that's cool and great and normal. But I think when I would get mean about it or like sometimes she would, I would come to bed and, and she's like, okay, well you can go to bed. Cause I get up like pretty early doing this and, and, uh, and I have a certain ritual in the morning that takes some time. And so, you know, I, I'm going to go to bed early and I, I would look at her and go, Hey, are you coming to bed with me? And she's like, no, I'm going to watch my shows. You know, she's got some shows that she likes to watch, and and I don't like those shows. <laughs> and she gets up later than I do because she does the Avon sales thing. So, uh, you know, so I'm sitting there just finding myself getting angry at her. Like, why won't you come to bed with me? Like, I need you in bed with me, or else, you know. Yeah. And so that's that kind of that Dementor thing, right? But I could see it, and I remember being, I was like, I was kind of bitchy at her, you know, and I apologized, and I said, hey, I'm sorry. Um, for for being, you know, kind of grumpy at you when you wouldn't come to bed with me that night, and and she's like, oh yeah, that's cool, you know, like it's just <laughs> like she saw it as normative for the years that we've been married, but now we're seeing it, you sure. know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I won't share her stories because she's not here to <laughs> defend herself. But you know, that, that's that's part of that breaking down. That but part of it is Seth is, is Christian theology, bad Christian theology. My wife and I went to a couple of Christian counselors, and one of the things that that a lot of Christian counseling does, not all. All right, this is why I think you should see a therapist or somebody. And not all therapists are great either, but I think the odds are higher on on professional trained individuals than they are on like your pastor, right? Yeah. Your pastor has no kind of experience in, in healing or well-being or psychology or social psychology or anything. You should probably, you know, this is limited advice, right? Yeah. I mean, sure, they are who they are, and that's great, and you can gather wisdom from them. But, you know, you get into these touchy subjects and like codependency, for example. Yeah. I used to call it, I had a conversation with a guy, and he was sort of... Like I've, you know, here in the Seattle area, there's a lot of different religions, and so I've seen this in Christians and in kind of like Buddhists or Eastern thinkers, where I don't need anybody but me, right? Mm -hmm. And so they rise up, and then, and so the, there's Christian the theology that would say that there's a healthy kind of codependency. Like they'll use verses like. Uh, Die to your wife as you know, as Christ died for the church, right? right? Like you just need to give yourself up for her. I think is the language right. that it, that is in Ephesians five. That's another thing about reading the Bible. Like maybe you should take that whole chapter <laughs> instead of just breaking a piece off and saying this is what you should do. Right. That's because that can be that can be understood and interpreted and translated as codependency. Right. That's not what it means. No. Yeah, that's what we have. We need a different word, obviously, right? When we talk about healthy, intimate relationship, yeah. that's different than codependency, right? It's like codependency means like you and I are completely dependent upon each other. Yeah. Intimate relationship is that we get to enjoy each other, right? The idea is, you know, like my wife and I, I've come to this point where I, because I've thought a lot about this word need. Uh huh. You know, what is it to need? Like, there are obvious things I need. I need air. Right. You need air. You need air. Yeah. I need food to a certain level, right. right? Probably not as much as I think I do, right? I need water, I need, there's certain things I need. The question is, do I need her? Right. And, and you know, because we always say, well, I have needs. We have needs. We worry about sex, you know? Maslow's hierarchy needs, one of the most important things. We need sex. Right. And I'm going, yeah, but the question becomes- Survival of the species, that goes down to ego, right? Right, You're right. The ego levels. Right, so I'm looking at it going, well, yeah, but what do I, like, my, my, my question with my wife has become this thing, like, there are things I desire in my life and if I desire this 
and she provides for that, then it becomes this thing where I get to enjoy that in, in this relationship with her. Right. But if at any point it becomes this thing where I need that. Right. You know what I mean, um, I think that then it strays into that kind of egoic space where like, it's no longer serving, you know, it's no longer serving something that is actually beautiful or creating something beautiful in my life or her life if I need it. Right. You know what I mean? You did the baby and the boob analogy, which yeah. I thought is great. Is that yeah. in your book? No, it's not. It's not. No. Yeah. It's, but that's great. That's that's kind of. Yeah, that's, that's way. That's codependency, right? Like a child learning, the child needs, needs, right. needs. Where it becomes codependency, okay? Because obviously the baby is dependent on the mother. Right. Where it becomes codependent, and this is where a lot of us learn our codependent. A lot of us learn at the breast. We learn pretty quick because we needed our mom, and pretty quickly our mom started to need us to need them, right? right? Like they're, the mother's looking at the baby, going, "Wow, it feels good to be loved unconditionally by right. this child." Right. And then they start to need to be loved unconditionally by this child. And pretty soon they're projecting this onto the child and the child's doing this so that the relationship with the breast can become a very codependent relationship. Yeah. I mean, and so then so many people, you know, and I put myself in that category, we learn how to be codependent from the beginning. Right. We learn how to be the caretaker. If I just take care of mom, you know, and there's, take a, care there's of like whole books written and, and, and sermons that have been preached on for men, right? This is material for men. Like how to get more sex out of your wife. Like that's a whole that whole approach. <laughs> that's Mark Driscoll just... 101, isn't it? Come on. <laughs> right. Isn't that Driscoll 101? Oh man. You know? Some of that, yeah. Well that's the thing. What's funny with my you wife. Know, I mean, I've even said that. But but that's part of the human connection. And I've always said that, you know, some of the best sex that you can have is not after date night or whatever. It's after it's after you and her have some kind of conflict relationally, right. where you sex. work out your yeah, yeah makeup sex. Yeah. But it's not just makeup sex. It's it's deeper connection. Like yeah. we went from we had this kind of like blockage. We were talking about blockages earlier. Yeah. Um, we had this like blockage in our relationship, and then we moved through that obstacle, mm. and now we feel this connection. And that's I mean everybody who's in love. In the early stages of love, you can't keep your hands off each other. Like yeah. you just want to fuck all the time, right? Yeah. Not in a yeah. bad way, yeah. but in a in a you know we're connected. We feel like do. Well, that word like fuck you. It's a weird word, right? Yeah. Like it's a verb. It's well, not. If you both agree yeah. that it's okay, we're good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know I mean? It's all right. Right. So so in those relationships where where you move through that obstacle, like that, I heard that in a meeting the other day where the scout was talking about. When when we move, the, the obstacle's part of us. Yeah. When we move through it, that makes our lives a, a more interesting story. Like, it's yeah. part of your life. Like, yeah. if you just stay in front of your obstacle, yeah. it's just boring. Like, it's a boring story. Yeah. So, I guess if we could encourage listeners to have a better love story, yeah. it's not, you know, and, and again, it's not that it's not the cause and effect thing. Like, I want, I want the effect, which is more sex, so I don't have to jerk off. That's why I'm addicted to porn. That's not why you're addicted yeah. to porn either. Yeah. But... <laughs> right? Mm. The cause, and that's my roots first approach. That's my thing for 2017 in the yeah. podcast. Roots first. You like that? Roots yeah, first it's, approach. It, it, it plays. Yeah. It's got legs. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We can do it. Can <laughs> it plays. Put that on a t shirt. <laughs> the sideways tree. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the roots first approach with it, with, with porn addiction in a relationship, is that. Or. The single guy. That was kind of the uh, AA thing that I said about relationships. Mm. If the plant and the pet are still alive after two years. <laughs> right. Right, right. Mm. So how do you think codependency functions for a single person, Seth? Because there's a lot of single people listening. Yeah. There's a lot of married people listening. But there's a lot of single people, too. Well, I mean... 
Codependency is something that can exist in, between, in any human relationship, right? Yeah, so single exactly. people, unless single people don't know any human being on the planet, then I guess they're okay. But, like, I mean, I, we all know somebody who's been codependent on their animals. I mean, oh. you, you, you know, you don't you know the woman that has Get six dogs, three cats, and, yeah. and, and can't hold a The a Osbournes. That's a good example. <laughs> Have you ever watched The Osbournes? No, no I haven't. <laughs> but, like, I, I knew, I had a friend who, she was married for about a day, and she was beautiful, smart, intelligent person, but for some reason could not do and uh, hold an intimate relationship together. But she had like five dogs, uh, three cats, a couple horses, a bunch of animals. And, and, the, and she was serving the codependency through that. You could tell because of course animals yeah. don't require anything of us other than just give me basic care and I'll love you forever. Yeah. Right? You know, you walk through especially the door. A dog. Yeah. Especially a dog. Right. And the five dogs were serving that purpose of I, uh, now I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved, I'm loved. Right. So she was in a quote unquote codependent relationship. The difference between a person and an animal is an animal doesn't need much. Right. Right. People need, you know, people have this, when you're in a codependent relationship with, a woman, uh, with another person, they're projecting all kinds of crap on you where a dog's just like, just feed me, make sure I don't die. You know, and don't be a jerk to me, and I'll be, I'll, you know, give right. you everything, right? right? And so, you know, I mean, that, that, I understand. It gives our soul value, right? You know, right. and right. I think that's just one of those needs, yeah, is value. But you get, you get the single, you get. I, I, had, a, I had a friend of mine in grad school. <clears throat> in grad school, try to maintain a friendship for a little bit. And eventually, I just went, I can't do this, man, because every single person that he knew, he'd go into a relationship, he'd suck the blood right out of them, or try to. And then the relationship would fall down, and then he'd move on to the next person, and that, per and then he'd do that to that person, complaining about how the last person abandoned them because he's the victim all the time. And it got to the point where I finally just had a literal talk, just going, "Listen, I can't do this. I right. can't be your friend. <laughs> I really wish I could, but this—you ask too much. Right. You, and, it, and it's on an energetic level that I have to sit here and just affirm you and affirm you and affirm you, and I can't be myself, and I can't grow, and I can't pretend that I'm changing because you're not. And if I am, if I am, that implies that you're. Not, it, this is too much, you know. Right. And then, and that was a person who was asking every single person enter into a codependent relationship with me, yeah. and it's the only option, yeah. right? And so, you know, it's one of those people, that, and he just con converts everyone into his victim mentality, everyone abandons me. No one, no one, him and him saying, you know, everybody says, I'm just too much, yeah. I'm just too much, you know? And I just wanna go, um, well, maybe you are. Yeah. Well, you know, you have to open yourself and let the, let it hurt if you're gonna confront that type of pain. If he's gonna go, maybe I am, Yeah. what does that mean? Like maybe what I've done to people is not okay, you know? But at no point, because he's sh shifted that because he's protecting so much trauma he carried in his body. Right. His ego is just like, I mean, his ego was a clever son of a bitch. He's just like, I'm going to convert the entire world to turn, to actually affirm this victim narrative that I have. Right. And probably a lot of your listeners right now are going, yeah, that's my wife, you know, or they, you know what I mean? Right. Going, yeah. Well, that's me. <laughs> or that's me, right? There's, yeah. you know, everybody, I mean, this is why we have to learn to listen to people's experience of us. If, if these five people, like if that guy went back to all the friendships that had been destroyed and said, why did, why did, why weren't you able to be my friend anymore? Why did that relationship end? And just dropped his stupid victim narrative and every person was honest with them, he'd hear the same story over and over and over. And then if he had the humility to go, maybe it's true. Yeah. Then what would happen is his heart would just chest would rip open and all of a sudden there'd be so much agony and, and, and all that pain would try to come out of him yeah, yeah. and he would find healing. This is what meant, Jesus meant when he said the truth will set you free. Exactly. He was saying it's, it's our ego narratives that to try to keep the truth in. Yeah. You know what I mean? So speaking this is the what truth. The, this is what the 12 steps say when they say the step one is my favorite step. Yeah. Is that like, I, I'm not God. Right. Like my ego is not God. Right. 
Because <laughs> yeah, you're like I'm not, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing this well on my own, mm-hmm. which is which is that that ego part of us, that yeah. that animal kind of part of us is just trying to survive and protect right. and and what we really need to do. I guess that's the, you know, what what we're talking about when we're talking the the real meaning of that text in Ephesians five mm-hmm. is to die to oneself. Is to die to that egotistical part of us that is the dementor. That's keeping you together. Yeah, yeah that, and that's sucking the life out of other it's people. It's the Frankensteinian version of all of us that's holding us all together, you know? Yeah. And to really die is to lose that identity. To Everything give, you're protecting. Right, yeah. yeah. To give yourself up like Christ loved the church is to let your ego kind of... Yeah, let your ego die. So when your wife's saying you're controlling and you're mean, yeah. you go... Shit, what if it's true? Yeah. <laughs> you stop defending yourself. Yeah, that was me exactly. for years. Oh, I did that for a decade, me man. Just, and then we, and we would fight for hours. It yeah. would just go on for hours. And it would just yeah. be defensive until we just... We never even would... A lot of times, we didn't even resolve the conflict. Yeah. We just get tired. Oh, man. Sleep. Dude, my wife... My wife... And sleep has, on the couch. That's she what has a recording oh. from 2009 oh, dude, on We do, too, phone. probably somewhere. She's really? got one on her phone. I didn't even know this until just a few months back. She said... You know, I have one of those. I'm like, what? She found it. She goes, yeah, we were fighting. I just hit record. Oh, wow. And she, when she hit it, and we listened to it for a while, and I was just like, oh, my Lord. And Because, it, it, you know, it's nowhere near like that anymore. But you should hear it. It's unbelievable. I mean, it's <laughs> unbelievable. I mean, I'm and I'm through the roof. My volume level is through the roof. Oh, you're screaming. This is what you do. This is what you do. And uh, she's and she's doing the thing she does, which is just making shit up. Like, she, her ego would just start literally making up crazy stuff. And mine would just crush her with every word that came out of her mouth like a steamroller, you know? Uh, that's and, the thing. Guys like you and I, it seems yeah. like, because our gift is words and putting words so. together. Right. I've even told my wife that and had to apologize for that. I say, you know what? My gift is words, and sometimes I can cut you to ribbons with them. Sure. You know? Yeah. yeah. And I, that was my thing. It was like, you know, it was... The volume and intimidation. That's yeah. kind of a guy thing, too, right? right. Yeah, it is. bigger than we are. They are. So it's like, you yeah. know? And she, and she didn't, and she would just... It's so monkey brain, isn't it? Like, right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and she would just go... She would just, like I said, she'd just go into this insanity space because she's not going to be able to hand, She couldn't handle the intensity of what I was doing, so she would just start making crazy stuff up and and it was this, and it was just ridiculous, and nothing ever changed. Right, same thing over and over. And it wasn't until I, I was years, it was probably seven or eight years into it. I remember I got to the point I couldn't do it anymore. I ran out of energy to fight, and that's when she go, "What's happening? Wait, right. What's going on?" When I got to the point, I'm like, "Okay, fine," you know. And I just lost the will to fight. Uh-huh. And then she started to feel the threat. Like, isn't that funny? It was the it was that cycle that made us feel like oh we're okay, right? Because we're still here. You know what I mean? And then with the second that I stopped fighting, she's going oh crap he's going to leave me. You know? Right. <laughs> and yeah. I'm going I don't want to do this. But that's anymore. true though. There's a lot of truth to that because they, you know the, any marriage counselor tell you that the yeah. opposite of love isn't hate. Mm-hmm. You know the, it, the, the that affection's still there. If people are screaming at each other, yeah. there's still something there because they're screaming at yeah. you. The opposite of love and affection that that affection that you know. The affection, yeah. emotion that we call love, yeah. is the opposite. Of that is is in apathy. indifference, apathy. apathy. Yeah, yeah it's just yeah. I don't like, what they call care. that resentment, where you get to the point where it's just like, I hate you. Yeah. You know what I mean? When you and then I'll just place. shut down, and then you yeah. and then you start to build walls. That's all our parents, right? That's our yeah. our parents' marriages where they just hate each other. Yeah, <laughs> and you go, why are you together? Oh. 
what? Like, and they never even considered the idea of not being together. You know, yeah. my my in laws are like that. They just they they loathe each other, <laughs> loathe right. each other. I mean, it's like, hey, Bill, you want to you want some macaroni? What? Why do all my think I need macaroni, woman? And you're just like, <laughs> you're, oh, yeah. you're trying to kill me? <laughs> it's just crazy. I'm like, that's that's how it functions every day. Uh, how do we get to that place? Yeah, fascinating. Yeah, yeah. and you have to, you know, it makes it had me thinking of um, the way I think God has put it in our DNA to break the cycle of codependency. Is how we were talking about millenniums earlier. Seth and I were having coffee. And the millennials? The millennials. Yeah. You know, everybody... That's a funny thing, too. Is, and I know there's millennials listening. I, I love you guys because you're teaching us something. We're Generation Xers, you know, and the boomers are ahead of us. Yeah. But the millennials are teaching us is that, you know, we've worked so hard to get this, and then they're looking at that, and they're going, eh, I'll that's, pass. Yeah, that's not, exactly. <laughs> and we're judging them for it. Right, like, Don't you realize how hard it. we worked? Right. <laughs> there was something I heard, and it was from the stupidest thing. It was from a Pepsi commercial, but it was brilliant. Yeah. And it said, every new generation refreshes the world. Yeah. And there's something really cool about that, that God made teenagers. Like, we get to that place... I heard a psychologist say it's the second independence. Like a toddler is two years old. They can climb around. They can grab stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. They're up on their feet. That's our first independence. Yeah. Second independence comes about eh, 12, 13, where they go, oh, I don't have to think like you. I don't have to believe what you believe. I don't have to even do the things you do. I'm independent yeah. outside of you. So that's a break in codependence that happens naturally yeah. in our human development. Yeah. But then I think if there's trauma somewhere in between that that place, then we just look for another kind of parent or yeah. hero or someone to fill that role yeah. of the, uh, the the mommy, the daddy, the, the absolutely right. You have to, and that's yeah. a problem with millennials is that you got a bunch of little kids, in, in wounded little kids that are moving into a space now where they're being expected to live adult lives and they're yeah. not capable. And instead of judging them, we have to be able to go. Okay, well, we have to have, be able to develop compassion for it and help them heal the wounds. Yeah. You know what I mean? Where we all, we all pull ourselves up, our generation pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and decide to work harder, but we're not any happier than they are. Yeah. No, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no. We're not. So yeah. we got to stop judging it because we survived better than them, you know? There was a, somebody shared, uh, it's like BuzzFeed or something, somebody shared a, so on Twitter, the, the hashtag started, um, Millennials are whining because, right? This yeah. hashtag, yeah. and then all these really smart millennials started adding to this, right? They're, oh, saying, no. they're pointing. <laughs> they would show a picture at the airport of a bunch of really old people on their smartphones, <clears throat> going "Millennials are always on their smartphones." <laughs> it was all the seniors right. with a tablet or a phone in front of them, yeah. and then there was a another one was uh, uh, they can't they won't go to college. And then, then they, one of the millennials posted this uh, uh, graph. It was like from uh, Forbes or something like that on the cost of tuition, just from just since like 1990 yeah. to 2015. Through the roof. It's just like this. It's like a like a hockey stick. Yeah. You know the graph. Just yeah. so yeah, we've created this world and then handed it off, and now we're like. Don't you, you get, get it? Yeah, don't you get it? <laughs> Come you know? on. And then, uh, you know, in the marriage, uh, more than half of U.S. marriages fail here in this country. Yeah. Um, the average kid sees pornography uh, age six or seven, yeah. you know, and, and this is the world that they've inherited. Yeah. 
and we judge them for it. Yeah. Yeah. It's silly. Yeah. It is silly. I have a lot of compassion for millennials, man. I do too. I was like them. I was just like them. No, me too. Yeah. Every generation is. Every generation looks at the previous generation and goes, why you little yeah. punk, right? Exactly. Like, it's just the same thing. Man, it's just on social media now. <laughs> yeah. And we have a name for it. Exactly. Well, and they're trying to, I mean, your average millennial, 28-year-old is like trying to do a corporate job. I mean, when I was 28, I, I couldn't even... I couldn't function, you know what I mean? So that's better than what I was doing, but yeah, I mean, I didn't start to even, till my mid-30s, I didn't even start to, to have any sense of what I wanted to do with my life, so yeah, yeah I don't blame them. So, yeah, it's know. a difficult place. You got this, millennials, you're going to save us all in the end. That's I, right. I promise you. And the way we want to end this show, I was thinking, Seth, as far as codependency is concerned, is learning how... Whether you're single or you're in a relationship, I'd say if you're in a relationship with your married boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, you know, part of it is just laying your shit out. Mm -hmm. We were talking about this at the coffee shop too, is just taking like even a pad of paper, not being defensive, just saying, here's how I see you as the other. Yeah. Here's how I see you. Now we we have to remove a lot of our you know codependency. We have to see it ourselves first before yeah. we you know seeing the boob. I think is a good example of when sure. you make this list. See, right. this is how I'm seeing how I'm experiencing you, right. and we can learn from each other, yeah. and then blow up that marriage, sure. and then start another one. Yeah, with the same or person. a relationship with <laughs> yeah. the same person. With the same yeah. person. And we got to stop trying to save the thing that is so miserable, right? And just go. That thing is dysfunctional because it's two little kids trying to do this, right? That we, have, but you, the, the easiest, honestly, the most practical step to beginning to approach your codependency is that everyone knows that you're having the same. If you're in codependency, the first clue is you're having the same fight over and over and over and over and over again. Yeah, that's it. So what you do is you notice that you be prepared. Then the next time the fight begins, at some point you stop in the center of that fight and go, wait a minute, we've done this before, right? And then you have to feel what's going on inside your body and recognize that you that all the trauma that you're feeling in your chest as it gets tight and as your stomach gets in knots, all that, you are unconsciously asking that person to save you from it. So if you uh, stop in that moment, you stop in that moment and go, we've, done, we've been here before. Right. What's the conflict? Yeah. yeah, man, all the words that have gone unsaid. And then, yeah, man, at my point in my life... Talk about blowing up your marriage, confessing, you know, going into the space of actually sharing who I was with my wife. I really, it was the hardest thing I did. And when I started the podcast, or late 2005, I started doing it based on porn addiction and how I saw one year clear of porn addiction. Like, I thought that wasn't even possible, right? right, right. You would have told me, oh, you can go over a year without looking at porn rest. Like, a year before that, yeah. I would have said you were out to lunch. Like, I said, and then I did. And I didn't even realize it until I went to a men's retreat thing, and this guy was saying, uh, you know, uh, look back at your life and, and be grateful for the things that you've not just accomplished, but been through, mm. you know? Yeah. And then that was one of the things I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't looked at porn in like a year. Yeah. So I start this podcast and I go from, uh, is November of 2005 until summer, that summer when I finally, uh, let the bomb go off as I, as I like to say, yeah. um, I confessed the fact that it wasn't just about porn addiction. Right. 
that I was an adulterer, that I had been in a serial adulterer. And I was afraid. I had a Christian counselor telling me that I should take that to my grave. Yeah. Yeah, I'm paying yeah. this guy $70 a session. And it was helpful. I'll be honest. It was helpful, some of the stuff I got from this guy. But that thing, I knew there was something wrong with that, yeah, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. just in my spirit, I knew that I was scamming my wife. I was lying to her. Yeah. She was married to some cartoon character that, sh that she didn't really know the soul of. Sure. Yeah. And so there was a lot of damage in there. There was a lot of, you know, intense uh, relational stuff. Yeah. Um, when you confess something like that, it's going to blow up your marriage. Even porn addiction. You wrote a thing, uh, a blog post on the Triple X Church website, uh, Seth, about that as well, right? Like yeah, uh, about confession, yeah. About confessing your porn addiction, right? Yeah, and it was, and I when, and I was kind of, it was a twist on kind of the classical idea that this is one of the. You know, like a lot of people use confession, especially to friends and it's accountability groups and stuff like this. They use this right. as a part of their order of salutis, you know, right. like part of their salvation. It's one of their pillars of salvation. They confess my sins. And a certain reading of scripture says, well, we do this and then therefore we are kind of forgiven and it, and it lets it breathe. And there's this freedom found in confession. Um, and what I was trying to get at was the, the difference between really confessing but spe and also speaking truth. You know, and I think that this is one of the helpful things you find in 12 steps when someone steps up and says, hey, my name is so-and-so and I'm I'm an addict. Right. You know, I'm an alcoholic. These ideas, there's a there's a truth coming to this recognition of where you actually are. Yeah, you know? you're kind of putting your ego to death here. Yeah. You're stabbing your ego a bit right. in the heart. Right. Because <laughs> right. it doesn't want to admit that you, you have a problem. Right. right? right. And the, pro the problem is, is after that, oftentimes we start to, I think we, you know, when Jesus said we take up our cross daily, you know, we put to death. We we put to death daily this identity. Yeah. We have to allow that to evolve. So if we get to the point where you know, 20 years from now, I still have to step up and say, "Hi, my name is Seth. I'm an alcoholic." We have to question that identity that that's become now. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because I, I, eventually, I can go. You know, it's like a friend of mine the other day was saying. You know, people always tell me I'm angry. I'm like, well, you're not angry. I said, you have anger in you. Yeah. But the goal eventually is for him. To, him. To, he can go. Okay, so I'm angry, and then eventually he goes. Okay, so there's anger in me. Yeah. Okay. But so, I'm passionate. Yeah. And then it's like, do I believe I can get the anger out of me? Yeah. And then eventually there's a there's an evolution of how you relate to that thing and then your identity shifts to I don't carry anger anymore. Right. I'm at peace. And then you know what I mean? There has to be an evolution of the identity and so confession has to follow that evolution. So it can't just be like, you know, every week I come and I say what I did. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Or I tell my wife what I did. It yeah. starts with that. Here here's the truth. Yeah. And I'm not going to. And we'll get into some of that. So yeah. Seth and I, we decided to do two podcasts on this on mm -hmm. this topic because yeah. it when we when we get into the group dynamic, um, the group can almost because I don't want to be negative towards groups, but I think this is the first. I was doing some internet searches on on healthy and unhealthy group scenarios, yeah. and there wasn't a whole lot about what to look out for. You know, on the unhealthy side of groups, right. and I think one of those is that the group can take on an, an, uh, a functional savior kind of intimacy thing. Codependency, yeah. yeah, where the where you're not taking some of the stuff that you probably should be sure. confessing or yeah. talking with or or exposing these parts of your heart to your spouse. Yeah. And you're not doing that because the group is kind of the group saying. Well, and even then, even then, I, I've kind of always said. I don't think it's necessary. I, I you know, the the truth, the, the real space where honesty needs to exist is in your own internal experience, 
right? The right. problem is, is that sometimes we lean on, on now my confession with my spouse and my confession to these people can create an internal belief system that if I do these things, then I'm, I'm good. But it keeps us from going into a deeper exploration and evolution of what we're actually experiencing internally. Yeah. The biggest lies we tell, our, we tell is to ourselves, right? Not right. to them. Right. right. Any confession that comes out of them has to come in the wake of the honesty we've come to with ourselves, where we dropped the illusion within ourselves. But unfortunately, especially the way the Christian church teaches it, so often our confession is not is, is an actual way of avoiding telling ourselves the truth. Right. You know, I can. But what about the fear of it? Like, I'm so afraid. I was afraid to right. confess this to my wife. I sure. thought, sure, my marriage is going to be over. Sure. If I tell my wife this. We're done. Like, I'm right. pretty sure that yeah. our marriage is going to end. So, yeah. so where do you go with that? Because I think that you have to get to that space first, right? Sure. Well, that's the death. That's yeah. the death of identity, right? Yeah. Your identity says, without this, I'm not okay. Without this, I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose myself. Right. My marriage, my life, my employee, or my 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 employment, my whatever it is, you're going to lose. Well, yeah. And your ego wants you to sit there and, th- and wants to wants you to think that that thing is you. You know what I mean? But Jesus is saying, he who seeks to save his life will lose it. Yeah. He who seeks to lose his life will save it. So there's this idea that, you know, there's some out there in all the, let's, let's talk about, you know, for instance, Christian music. you got a bunch of people out there making this art. And then maybe a lead singer of some band that we know is starting to come to the point where they're going, they're struggling with addiction, or they've got all these doubts, or they've got all this stuff going on, and they're sitting there going, I can't keep singing these words. Right. I can't be doing these things, but their identity is so completely based in that space that they that they they have to go into a deeper and deeper shell in order to maintain that identity for them. In order for them to change or find the freedom that they're desiring, they're going to have to lay that down. Well, that's a lot to ask of somebody. Right. And most people like, are in that. Most space people love level. to talk about. It's like you know, and I've said that so many times with people one on one. Like, don't don't tell me with your mouth what you believe. Right. Show me with your actions. Right. Your mouth can run all day long. Right. Talking about what you should and ought to, or, or you know. Right. Or here's what I believe. Okay. Well, now, 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 put it into action. Well, and we're already noticing that, right? Because if someone's, I was having a talk with someone this morning. and said, I mean, you know, you keep telling me what you believe. I said, I gotta be honest. With you, if you're a porn addict. That's telling me what you believe. I go, and it should be telling you what you believe. That's we just have right. to get honest about that because internally you, there is some part of you, and I just we talk about it. There's, it's not just you're not one person. Yeah, there is some part of you that believes that looking at this stuff every day is more effective at me getting what I need than my faith. Amen. And if we can yeah. recognize that, that's the truth. That's the truth. That is the truth. Yeah, we recognize Your body it. keeps doing it. Yeah. Because it needs something. It's saying, this is working. Yeah. Right? This yeah. is working. That wasn't. That isn't. And if we can get really honest with it, and that's what I mean by being honest with ourselves. Right. But the problem is, is that causes that God, that that religious construct construction that we've created that has this kind of control over us, it causes it to start to unravel. And if yeah. we do that, man... Even though that on the other side of it, we can find unbelievable freedom and unbelievable power and unbelievable just recreation of something so much larger and so much more beautiful, it still hurts like hell, man. Yeah, and that's yeah. why, I mean, we're and your average person has a lot to lose. Yeah. You know, your average person does. Because that's what the guys, there's people thinking that right now. They're listening to us right now, yeah. Seth, and they're thinking, yeah, but my family. Right. My right. family, my job. I mean, I think of I don't the want to see my kids on the weekend. There's plenty of pastors listening right now that are going. Oh, you know, yeah, I my understand. Job. I thought my, it's everything. Yeah. That's my benefits. That's my health care. That's my. I mean, it's all of these things. Yeah. You know, there's. You know, maybe one of those lead singers is out there listening right now, going, "Dude, it's like everything. It's like everything I've worked towards." Yeah. And, and then their ego wants to convince them that there's nothing 
on the other side of this other than emptiness and you will not survive exactly. and you will not be okay. That's death. Yeah. Yeah. You're not and that's a lie. Because if you bash that thing to hell, imagine the better, most more awesome art you'll make on the other side of it. Well, and even then though, it doesn't make sense in this in just in, that doesn't make sense just in the sense that like it does feel like a death. Yeah. And that's the problem is trying to die for the hope of life it's almost an oxymoron. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like, exactly. So, like, yeah. it, because that's the thing. You don't do it because you want yeah. to see it. You don't want, like, Alanis Morissette had her heart broken, made this awesome album. Yeah. Right? right. And then did nothing after that. Right. But then you, you look at someone like Adele. Uh. Adele got, had her heart broken, made an awesome album, and then, I like how she numbers them too. Right. Beyonce, Lemonade. Right. Right? right. Like, these are, these are great examples of artwork that came out of just freaking heartbreak right. you know when most and most true creativity does come from places of suffering but and the truth is the only thing that motivates us to really die is suffering so bad that that looks like the best thing yeah you know what i mean and that's why that when we're talking about a spiritual death there's true life that can come out of that some people you know commit suicide suicide's a survival technique oh yeah not a Absolutely. dying technique you yeah. know what i mean like i don't have to feel all this pain if i just end this you know yeah. so yeah, it's a, it, you know, the way we depend on these the relationships in our, I mean, when we get back to the idea of confession, the whole thing is we have to confess to ourselves first. That's right. You know, and then we can, if it's helpful, we can tell somebody else. Yeah. But, yeah. Because yeah. it takes, it takes moving through that mm. to tell someone else. Yeah. And it hurts like hell. And it does. And you have to be, you, you can't, you can't be forced into it, can you? Yeah. You know, I think I, there's, there's, there's counselors who, because yeah. I confess to my counselor. He just told me not to tell her. <laughs> I laugh now. It's sad, it's you know. But it's crazy. Yeah, that's why I laugh because it's, it's just so crazy. I, 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 the guy's no longer in business. He probably got sued. Because uh, you're talking about sex addiction. There's guys out there. I was sleeping with prostitutes. Yeah. I mean, I was using condoms, but condoms aren't 100 percent effective yeah. all the time. Yeah. I mean, you just give someone freaking hepatitis or well AIDS or something. It, it, he might have gone out of business for just being a not very good counselor either. Right? That's you know true. what I mean? So, <laughs> True. So that's that's the idea. If well, someone, he was if sort of effective, though. I mean, he was passionate. He worked out a lot. A lot of it was very yeah. kind of surfacey. Behavior. But the thing is, when you run into that space where your clients begin to fail, yeah. fail, then your own ego's on the line. So many people go into being therapists for the purpose of trying to affirm their own story that they can master all the pain. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time. It happens with pastors. Happens with therapists. Happens with anybody in the helping arts. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know that because half the reason I went into it was to master my own pain. Right. You know. Me and too. And after a while, you go. This isn't working, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, then you have to really get into your pain. You know? Yeah. My wife's yeah. same thing. My wife's a therapist. She's a brilliant therapist, but she, she went into it to save herself. Yeah. You know, which is not a good moving way to moving the story forward. You have to internally. Yeah. Like if we don't, if we don't do that, then we got nothing to say. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like for me, from a good example, for my wife and I, it was you don't see me, you don't hear me. I need to be seen. I need to be heard. Right? right, and that was the thing. Is she's going? I am seeing you. I'm hearing you, but I'm not feeling seen. I'm not feeling heard. Uh, right, and so eventually, if I recognize that the thing I'm asking of her, she can't give me, because it's deeper than this person's capable of giving me. She's a child just like me. She can't give this to me. Right. So if we kind of recognize that every when when you look at your fight, okay, if you're in a, if you're in a codependent relationship, with a lot of people are, look at your fight. What's the thing you always end up asking for? I want to be seen. I want to be heard. Does it mean that she shouldn't see you or she shouldn't hear you or he shouldn't? No, no, no. That'd be great. All right. But that's down the road a ways. Let's look at our need for it first and recognize that right now it's very clear. They can't give you what you need. Yeah. How do you go find what you need 
on your own, within your own self, within right. your own body. That's the whole key. I mean, my wife. Because God I, gives us the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of churches, yeah. we, they keep pointing to Jesus, and what they do when they do that is they make Jesus really tiny. Yeah. And they make. Even though right? Jesus was never married, I mean, like, exactly. look to Jesus for marriage advice. I'm going. He wasn't married. He wasn't what are you talking right. about? Right. And I wouldn't look at my. What Jesus did give us is the Holy Spirit that right. dwells inside of us. Sure. So when Seth and I talk about this stuff, a lot of Christians will say, "Oh, well, you're just talking about worship." Worshiping the self. It's like, no, that's not what we're no, talking about. That's no. the ego. Right. The spirit is something that God gave us. And it's something we all have. It was something we all and have. Lead us into all yeah, truth. And it'll fill those needs, man. Well, it'll fill it by showing us how to heal ourselves. That's what it says in the scriptures. Healer, heal thyself. Right? It was there's action, there's movement. The, the, the truth is the spirit doesn't heal us. The spirit shows us the path to healing. Mm. What we have to do is learn how to say yes. Go through right. the valley. It's not freaking magic. Like right. when Jesus healed people, he wasn't doing. He wasn't a wizard. Okay, he's not doing. Right. He's not doing magic. He was doing something where he he had opened up to something that he was capable. That he said we are all capable of as well. Yeah. We just have to ask. What does it mean to open ourselves up to to that kind of calling, gifting, transformation? And what do we have to release? Because for everything you gain, you lose something. Yeah. And what we have to know is what does I need to lose? The mystics were saying it for a long time. This is a process of subtraction, right. not addition. You want to live in a great relationship. You want that codependent relationship to become one of deep passion, intimacy, love, where you can stand on your own and you can be each other's biggest fans. Then you have to lose yourself yeah. first. And that means all the things that you're asking of that person, all the things you're asking that person to give you, provide for you, transform for you, heal for you, do for you, right. you will lose those things. You lay them on the altar. And you that's set them on scary fire. because for me, I thought that I would be, I was afraid. Here, here's the fear thing. We were talking about that earlier too. Yeah. The fear thing that I was fearful of walking into is that will I land in the place of um, apathy? Right. Like, will I not care about her? Will our marriage be over? And you know what? That's a possibility, isn't yep. it? It is. You gotta, we have to. That's part of the death. Yeah. Is we go. Okay, so I'm gonna even. I'm gonna lay this marriage on the altar, and I'm gonna set it on fire as well, and yeah. recognize that that's not the thing I desire. It's not the thing I want. It's not what she wants either. No. But my wife and I walked out of marriage counseling one year, and we just. I looked at her. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I said, I just got this theory. I go, I've got my shit. You got your shit, and that makes our shit. Yeah. If I take care of mine and you take care of yours, I think ours will change. And I'm I'm willing to commit to doing anything and everything I have to do to change it. Right. Will you do the same? And I remember she was very hesitant, but she finally said, "Okay." And we just went. It wasn't. I wasn't sitting around asking for permission anymore. I was like, "I'm going after it with everything I've got." Right. And I dumped every ounce of time, energy, and money. I maxed out three credit cards. I do everything I had <laughs> just on healing work, just transforming myself. That's why I never saw anything. I'm like, if there's an obstacle, I'm going to find a way around it because I have to do this for my life. Right. And now my life is everything I've ever wanted it to be. Yeah. And so is my relationship with my wife. So. Yeah. And yeah. it's growing and it's changing and all the time. Yeah, that's the thing yeah. with me too. Is, is is our our relationship isn't perfect. I mean, by no means we've got a long way to go, but it's certainly not in this this gritty codependent space where yeah. I'm. And sex was a big part of that, you know, yeah. like because. Because I thought that sex was such a higher need than love, intimacy, um, being known on the inside. Like I was, I was just so full of lies and, and pretending, and you know, I, I lived a double life for a while. And you know, this person is that person, and yeah. and I, I just I didn't even know who the hell I was. Sure. You know, before I I, could, I couldn't bring myself to her because I didn't even know who Rush Shaw was. Right. I had to figure out who Rush Shaw was. To even figure out who she was married to, True. <laughs> I didn't know who she was married to. Right. You know, yeah. and then I could learn because my wife started this work before I did. 
Yeah. And that was one thing that about sexual abuse. So my wife went through sexual abuse as a kid too, and the counselor said, and this and this had me in tears. Like my wife didn't see it because it was nighttime when she told me. She goes, "Yeah, Alex said something strange," and I go, well, "What was that?" And she goes, "He's wondering when you're going to come in and talk about your stuff that happened mm. to you when you were a kid." And uh, and I just like. You know, I was trying to hold it too. I didn't want to cry in front of her, right? Yeah. But tears are going down, and she didn't notice. But that was one of those things that you know, when you start to do this kind of work, you watch your spouse see you and go, "Yeah, they, they seem more healthy now. Like mm-hmm. they can breathe a little better. Their pace is a little better. You mm-hmm. know, as you mm-hmm. heal." Yeah. And, and, and well, they will well that's the nature of codependency down. is that when you have a cycle an energetic cycle between two people if one person's vibration starts raising it disrupts the other person yeah and it, they have a choice they either leave or they or they raise theirs right can't be in relationship and be just mismatched like that eventually it's too, the disruptions too intense right yeah, I got a friend that's going through that right now and he's like I can tell he goes I can tell my wife's coming to a point where she's trying to decide whether she's gonna leave uh-huh. or whether she's gonna follow me but she's a hardcore religious zealot, and he's moving into this space of really beautiful freedom, still within the Christian like stream, uh-huh. but this really beautiful expression of it, where she's like, "There's demons everywhere; they're gonna kill us," kind of thing. And so he's changing, and he's finally stopped caretaking her. And every time she she literally will come out and he talk to you, and then she'll hit him with conspiracy theories and tell him how he's bringing demons into the house and Satan's gonna burn him in hell. <laughs> and he just sits there and goes. I'm sorry, babe. I can't. I can't go with you on this one. Right. And he just does that. He'll go, and he'll literally do this kind of thing where he separates himself and just goes, "I can't carry you yeah. on this one. I'm sorry." And she just, and he said he'll watch her just almost like collapse. Wow. Because the energetic, she's the she's not able to get the energy she, she used needs, to. Yeah, her, she's being that, robbed yeah. of her drug. Yeah. And he said that she's just. He goes, you know, the last time that happened, he looked at her kind of slumped over, and he said, "You okay?" And she just goes. It's just hard to know your husband's gonna burn in hell. Oh. And he goes, "Yeah, it must be." Wow. He said, "He goes, yeah, it must. That must be tough." Yeah. And then he just walked out of the room. Wow. And he goes, and I can tell. He goes, he's like, I can tell, man. She's thinking about leaving. Yeah. She's thinking about leaving, and or she's thinking about following me. But I don't think she's gonna be able to handle this much longer. Yeah. And that's the nature of it, you know. And as difficult as that is, it's how we change. Yeah. You know. And the cool thing is, is that he's finally at the point where he recognizes that God's not gonna crush him if they were to divorce. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he's just kind of going. Because well, that's what we. Yeah. That's why we started this. Because you and I have had these discussions with about. You know, we talk about what's going on with other people that we're. You know, and that there's there's this thing in Christianity that what is it, Seth? It's a. Mary, or divorce is not an option. Divorce not right. Like yeah, you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. It is you an option. You are wrong. You're it absolutely is an wrong. And, we, and, it's, and this is what we get from reading the Bible so far out of its context. But yeah. But with we're following a certain stream or denomination. Like there's one. I, I think I mentioned that in a, a, a podcast a while back because there's there's one in one I think it's one week I heard from two people one that said you know followed this Ephesians five thing so no one ever got divorced in in his community and then another one that followed where Jesus said you know if you if you lift your wife up as an idol or your kids you know you have to hate your wife your kids if you're going to yeah. be spiritual free so they followed that and then a bunch of, so that whole church they, oh, everybody got divorced and remarried <laughs> and stuff like that so it just depended on the on the translation of those you know which way they right. Fell in the in the translation of those two verses, which is like blows my mind that people just ugh, yeah. like even know who this book is written to and why and yeah, it's sort of like a good way to detect cancer early, going after this this codependency, right? Yeah, I don't know if I characterize it that way. Like huh. like say you know there, there's so many people that 
okay, we'll, we'll use sex addiction as an example. When I went from, like, the, I was I was telling a, a friend of this uh, yesterday, I said when I when I went from porn addict to uh, being with prostitutes, like if you would have told me that morning, Seth, that I would cheat on my wife, I would have mm. said, no, I won't. I love my wife. I would never do something like that. Um, I wouldn't be with a prostitute. I don't have to pay for sex. Right? Mm. I pick up this woman hitchhiking, right? And she, we're, it's, it's sort of a... It's like a residential area, and she's there, and she looks like Christina Aguilera or something. She's not dressed super slutty. She was dressed kind of like a normal person. But she's walking across the street. We make eye contact. She smiles. And then she kind of walks for a little bit. She stops and goes like this, puts her thumb up, right? Mm. Like a hitchhiking sign. So I'm like, you know, I reach over and I open the door and she gets in the car. And from that point, it went from, like, she just knew what to say. I think that's why they call them hookers, right? Like, there's a, there's a hook out there. So she goes, she goes, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, working girl or whatever. And she says, you know, 50 bucks, I'll give you a blowjob. And I said, first of all, I pay you 50 bucks. Second of all, I don't pay for sex. Mm. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't do that. I love my wife. She says, and she said, the, the first thing she said in response to that was, was diabolically brilliant. Yeah. She said, why did you pick me up then? She said, you wanted something from me. Yeah. And then she said, uh, you know, she, she asked me, uh, she said, well, let's say we work together. I have pizza guy stuff on, and she's like, we work at the pizza place for six, eight months, and we finally go hook up in a hotel room or something. She said, what's the difference between that and uh, you and I just doing this now? She said, you want something from me? And she says, I want to give it to you. Mm -hmm. This is a transaction. Let's do this. Mm -hmm. And then she cut her price by half. So twenty five bucks. That's salesmanship, baby. That's that's right. She's I know. I would question the profit margin at that point, but I would. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and she didn't look like a drug addict or, or anything like that. But it was one of those things. Like I, I realized and that's another thing about sexual addiction. You really don't know what you'll do yeah. when you're feeding your brain yeah. porn, you know, every freaking day. Yeah. And uh, and so that was that was this evolution progression of, of the the addiction mm -hmm. or the compulsion at that time yeah. so that if, if somebody you know if somebody would have said something earlier just about just about exposing my heart to my wife for example sure. like before all that happened I mean they could have saved me a ton of like of the the pastors I was listening to said stuff that wasn't just you know uh, and, and this is another th group dynamic we can go into on the next episode but you know there seems to be these men's groups over here and we have women's groups over here and, and you know how do we connect that's the big question and I wasn't connecting with her and that's I mean, it went deeper. Anyway, what do you respond to yeah. that? Yeah, well, not really a question, well, Seth. Kind of but story, right? yeah. no, I, I, uh, I think that, um, I think that it's suffering that drives us to the point where we're ready to get help. And I, right. I don't think it's necessarily somebody said the right thing because I'd be willing to bet somebody said the right thing at some point. You just weren't listening. Yeah, that's you know true. I mean? And, and 
reality is is that it's my like, my mind is creating this catch the cancer early scenario right. when I'm trying to what, what really is happening is I'm trying to manipulate time. Right. Exactly. And that's the thing is Carl. I mean Carl Jung said no one comes to consciousness without suffering. And one thing I've learned. And, and I'm sure you've experienced the same thing when you're working with all these people that are suffering and so many people in addiction is that the only ones that change are the ones that are ready to change. Yeah. No matter what you say. I have things that I have said to people and it's, and they have grabbed it. They grabbed the football, it took off, and it's completely changed their life. Yeah. I've said the exact same things to other people and two years later they come back to me going, I think I'm ready to listen now. Wow. You know, I had a friend of mine... When the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Exactly. There's a yeah. truth to that, you know, yeah. Confucius say. They, there's this, I mean, I had a friend of mine, I've been telling him the same thing for five years, and he finally calls me and goes, I'm, okay, I'm ready to die. And I go, okay, are you ready to listen now? He goes, yeah, okay, so I'm going to tell you the same thing I told you for the last five years in a row, and if you do it this time, it'll change. Right. And he did, and changed. Well, so you can just look at it and go, well, that's what I, I remember I said in my book, I said, it, you know, it's not, I go, truth is more heard than it is spoken. You yeah. know what I mean? It's not, I mean... There's people, this is why Jesus talked about, he, he characterized... Proverbs, he paints her as a woman. Right. Wisdom, you know, she's out there yet shouting in the streets. Shouting in the marketplace. And no right? And no one's And that's the thing, and it's always there. Yeah. And the, the voice it's of spirit there. is always there. That's why people that talk about being this kind of awakening inside them, they just start noticing things they didn't notice before. It's like, oh, that was always there. Yeah, yeah. You notice a flower. And that's the whole stop and smell the roses thing. It's there. Notice it. You know, I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and I said, hey, have you seen that movie Moana, this Hawaiian movie, Disney movie? movie that's out and she's like yeah it's incredible and she's like yeah you know it's a good movie and i go no no, no you don't understand like mike my, my wife and i were bawling our heads off the power <laughs> the, de the depiction of the divine feminine and how god like this and, and she's like i just like the songs and i was like <laughs> she's like how did you see you guys are so deep man i go no no no, no. he goes it's just the difference is that we're just awoken to something within ourselves and it resonates through, in the whole world yeah you know what i mean and so i'd be willing to bet you just hadn't suffered enough that's uh, all, man. I got friends of mine who are like, well, someday it'll change. Go, yeah, yeah, when you're suffering <laughs> enough, right, yeah. it'll change. Yeah. yeah. And you can't, you can't control that in people, can you? No. It's like you just want to. Yeah. You it's want so bad. to. I see addicts, Seth, I was a, I was, I didn't put needles in my arm, but I was to the point where I was, you know, I, I freebase heroin. I, I, I did a lot of math. My teeth are still kind of fucked up from, from math. Mm. Uh, mine are just from not flossing well. I'm English. I got British roots. <laughs> so that's some of it. Too. I think it's some of it. My kids' teeth were—they didn't do math. Their teeth are all messed up. Yeah. But anyway, my point is, you know, like what? It's just like if I can find the magic thing to say to these people, yeah. and uh, it, well, usually yeah. it's suffering. I think the city, the city of Seattle, is just kind of letting them set up tents in the city, and they're just scooping their bodies off the streets, yeah. which is sort of horrible. It's like you need to yeah. kick them out. You need to get them out of the tents and off the streets because they are comfortable there. Yeah. We may not think of it as comfortable, yeah. but when I was an addict, I would be totally comfortable to sleep under yeah. a bridge or yeah. in a tent on a freaking street corner. Yeah. I actually read it. I was reading a saying by a, a, Zen, a Zen Buddhist teacher named Muji. He was saying, if every book on spirituality produced one awakened spirit, one awakened person, the world would be rich with Buddhas. And he says, where the hell are they? Right. <laughs> you know? And it's because a book will sell 10 million copies and about 1% of the people that bought it will find some sort of a transformational effect in the experience of it. Yeah. And, and it's because those, that 1% were ready to listen and they were ready, they were ready to die or they were, had suffered enough. And that's a different place for different people. But, you know, that's what it is, man. When people are suffering enough, they're ready to roll. And, and I, every once in a while, I marvel at someone who ha, who only suffered a little bit, and they're like, "I got to make a change." And I'm like, "Man, that's 
wow, that's incredible, man. <laughs> like, I had to like go to the point where I was ready to die before I was ready to change anything. Yeah. This is why the midlife crisis is such a holds so true to form. Is about right. mid thirties, man. Your body stops being capable of carrying all the pain that it's been carrying, and the, the and it all starts the, to leak. It starts right to leak. About forty. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. all the stuff you've set up to save you just fails, and you just and so the the question is, do I just re up on the stories, get a better thing, get a better car, right. get a better girlfriend, get a, get or a red do, Corvette and a twenty yeah. year old girlfriend? Or do we die? Or do we die? Yeah. Which is also a sort of death, too. Yeah. Because the guy who gets the red Corvette and the 20-year-old girlfriend, he, he doesn't realize what a fool he looks like. Right. Like, everyone can see that. Yeah. It's like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like an orange Or if he does, jacket. if he thinks it's awesome, you almost want to applaud. Like, wow, man, you're so naive. It's kind of awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, more power to you, buddy. You know, but like, but then, you know. Make some good art out of it. I don't but know. But they end up becoming very, very, very bitter old men. Exactly. You know, and mm-hmm. that's a shitty way to go down. It is a shitty way. That's that's one of the reasons I also continue this this journey of healing. Yeah. Because I see so many older men, especially, and I heard that there's a neurological component in, in especially in men, mm. women too, but men have it more dominantly. Is is the curmudgeon? It's called the it's called the curmudgeon. Oh, I forget what it's called. Is is it the curmudgeon gene? It's not even a gene. It's just as we age, there's just something in us that gets more negative and grumpy. Right. And I don't want to be that. Yeah. I think that's just the. You don't have to, man. You live, from, <laughs> you live from spirit. You get more flexible, more wise, more happy, more joyful. Yeah. That's why we're kind of like millennials too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because we we were addicts for so long that we have some arrested development. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I like the, the childlikeness, not well, the, childishness. The millennials are hitting their midlife crisis at twenty-five. You know. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. That's yeah. awesome because they're, they're suffering there. Yeah, because they're suffering and they right can there. Change. Yeah, they can. I picked up a guy in my Uber who was working. Uh, I picked him up like six o'clock in the morning because he was getting off work, yeah. and he was an Irish bartender at a a bar not too far, less than a mile from the Amazon campus yeah. in South Lake Union in Seattle. So Amazon.com, huge company. Uh, the buildings for Amazon take up a large part of downtown. Yeah, all all the south of downtown, South Lake Union is all Amazon. Right. And this guy, so this guy gets in my car and he goes, it's a thick Irish accent. He'd only lived here about three years, about 50 years old, this guy. And he goes, I don't understand it. He says, your 25-year-olds are going through the same existential crisis that men in their 40s and 50s are going through in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he starts telling me all these stories. Yeah. I get this 25-year-old who's sitting there, you know, with a beer in his hand going, I work 12 to 14 to 16 hours a day at Amazon. I go to sleep. I make good money. I take a vacation. But is this my life? Mm-hmm. You know? And they're in their 20s. And they were told that was supposed to be their life and they were supposed to like it. Yeah, that was supposed to be great. So when they got the job, they were like, yes, my life is set. Oh, I got this. I got this. Not options. Yeah. Yeah. Seth. You have started a uh, life coaching thing. I wanted to talk about that yeah. too for for listeners out there. You're getting full, yeah, I am. right. Yeah, I am. I've got. Well, I need to raise spots. your price. <laughs> I've got three spots left. <laughs> I, I said I was going to take ten cli- ten clients. Okay. It, I mean, of course, if an eleventh comes in and there's and the circumstance is correct and errors right and I can deal with that, and maybe I'll, I'll allow for that. But I wanted to max out at ten just so I could give the energies I need to it. Right. But I've got three spots left. And it's 12 sessions, one-hour sessions over the phone or over the internet or in person if you're in the Seattle area. And it's it's 1200 bucks up front. It's $100 a session, and I ask for it up front. I mean, uh-huh. I'm willing to work with people if they can make the commitment, but right. um, but it's, you know, it's a 12-session commitment. Right. So 
yeah, and I just started that this last week, and and that's going really well. I love it, and it's it, it actually gives a lot of focus to what I do because I spend a lot of time with people talking and stuff like that. But I'm finding that when I'm doing it on a professional level, it I, I'm a lot more locked in, yeah. which is great because usually I'm pretty relaxed and I do conversations like this. But I but when when someone's saying, "Hey, I'm I'm going to pay you to actually help me," right? Um, wow, man, it ups my focus and it ups their focus too. So yeah. I think, which I think is the reason therapists charge money. But I'm not a therapist; I'm a teacher and a coach. But I, but it's been really, really cool. Really cool. So thanks for letting me plug that. Yeah. So yeah. There are three spots: SethAllenTaylor.com. You just go there. There's a form to fill out. sends you, sends me an inquiry, and then I get back to you right away. And if I've got the spots, and once once I don't have the spots, I'll probably put together a waiting list of some sort and right. we'll do it. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. Yeah. Well thanks Seth. Thank you. And um you know, one thing that I want listeners to, to come away from this with is it's sort of like the Matrix and I have had that on my website ever since it started and my website still looks like it was designed in nineteen ninety five. But <laughs> well, there's one one quote that I have there on the classic website and it's it's a quote from uh from the Matrix and it and, and it says uh it's at the end of the film where Neo says, I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. So, leaving this podcast, I want listeners to, to hold on to that. That you're entering into the mystery. And this is why Seth and I, you started talking about being a Christian mystic. And then, like, what the hell is that? You know, I started looking into it. And then I'm like, and then I was studying Richard Rohr and all the stuff he says about yeah. about recovery. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that was me. Like, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't believe in God as, you know, some miracle sky fairy or something like that. Like, right. this has to be changing me. Because yeah. I wanted to die a yeah. lot of times. I was in a risky behavior. Um I, 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 a lot of people know my story. So, but there's a transformative spiritual reality to God, right? right? right. Jesus lived and died. God entered. God entered the story. Like this, 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 this is not. But you have to experience it because if you don't experience it, it's not yours. Right. There's a question that I have on one of the surveys. I have the surveys on the on the survey page, and one of them that everybody seems not everybody. Most people seem to stop at. Mm -hmm. I ask this question: When did your faith become yours? Mm -hmm. Not your parents, right. you know, not your denominations, right. but yours personally. When did you enter into that personal relationship with God? And a lot of folks are stopping there. I'm not really sure why, but I think that this is one of those times in life where you enter in to a real relationship with God, mm -hmm. where it's experienced. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, I heard a quote by a Catholic priest that said, "In the future, we will all be mystics or nothing." <laughs> that's good. That's that's the way it's heading because people are tired of believing and they want to experience. Yeah. Just realizing that believing has only got them so far, and they are going, "If it's real, it can be experienced. Yeah. It doesn't have to be believed in." So yeah. that's the idea. Yeah. yeah. It's so punk, <laughs> right? Because you can't put a brand brand on it. Yeah. You know, you, yeah. you stick a brand on it. It's like I heard a guy, I was reading in uh, uh, Urban Dictionary, the word punk, and one of the guys was saying about the word punk, he says, if somebody says, if a punk guy <coughs> looks at another punk guy and says, all that stuff he's wearing, that's so yesterday, that's not punk anymore. That guy is automatically not punk. Yeah. Because he's judging that guy. Right. <laughs> because that's how you should dress... Punk isn't about being should or ought toing on people. Jesus, there's so many 
parts of the scriptures in the Bible that are so punk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where Jesus says, you don't don't call anybody teacher or yeah. father. Sorry, Catholics. Like that's Matthew twenty three, you can read it for yourself. Don't call him father. I'm the father. I'm the teacher. I'm right. like plug into me. Walk with me, right? Follow me. We're we're good about learning. We're not so good about following. Following. Yeah. 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 I don't know, man. Well, thanks, Seth. Any yeah. la any last thoughts? Or we have uh, do or do not. There is no try. There you go. Oh, Yoda. That's you. right. That's That's a great <laughs> philosopher, Yoda. Yeah. Later, everybody. Bye. Esme Patterson, and the song is called Dearly Departed. I uh, love that song. The, uh, that's the end chorus of the song. The beginning chorus of the song is, you and I both know the house is haunted. You and I both know that the ghost is me. Um, it's like we stay in our haunted houses, you know. Or is like a storm analogy we think and I think the haunted house analogy is so good because when it comes to a storm storms pass and and I think that arguments can pass but the underlying thing like Seth said we've had this argument before if that's not addressed you know, the, this thing with relationship, I think that what we do is we weather the storm, right? We we get in a conflict or someone's angry and we just, you just figure you're going to wait the storm out. And sometimes that works. And usually that just works on a surface level. I'm telling you, sometimes you got to walk directly into that storm. Sometimes you got to be a storm chaser. Um. Russ at ASI247.org is my email address. This show is inspired in part also by uh, email from a listener. Uh, and uh, I appreciate you guys who, you know, reach out, whether you just want to vent. And I ain't judging. I hope none of this comes off as judgy. And if it does, Russ at ASI247.org. I, I don't want to sound like a judgy a-hole or like I know all of what I'm talking about because this is very one-on-one. -on -one. Relationships are sticky and tricky and messy and in unique, very unique. So, yes, they're all generalities that we can apply and approach 
in our lives and our loved ones. And But ultimately, this is you, man. This is your life. This is your life today. You are a loved individual. You are created. Your life does have meaning. And moving through these relational obstacles is so incredibly important. Love you guys. I do mean that sincerely. Again, Russ at ASI247.org. SethAllenTaylor.com if you'd like to connect with Seth. Till next time, bye. Hold me close and don't let me go Hold me close Like I'm someone